After a bizarre and unprecedented four-game 2020 season, where despite a pedestrian 2-2 mark, ASU showed a lot of promise during that year, there was natural excitement and anticipation for the Sun Devils' 2021 campaign. And while the challenges for this program differ from last year amid a raging pandemic to this year and an NCAA review, which has already placed three assistant coaches on administrative leave, one can only wonder if ASU and its fans are headed into another unusual season, or will this be a team that can fully maximize the vast potential of its roster and reach new heights that Tempe has not seen in a while? Our preseason podcast is going to try to make sense of it all and discuss our expectations from the various position groups. And later in the podcast, I will be joined by Pac-12 Network football analyst Yogi Roth, who will provide his comprehensive view of ASU as well as the rest of the conference. So thanks, as always, for tuning in. Let's get the thing started. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. Welcome to the Devil's Junkies Podcast. I'm your host and DevilsDigest.com publisher, Hoda Rubino. And yes, I know it's been a while since I've recorded one of these episodes, and now that the 2021 season is just days away, we will definitely resume our normal schedule with our weekly podcast after each and every ASU game. So thanks for your patience during these last few months, and let's dive right into it and talk about the various position groups for Arizona State, starting with the Sun Devil offense. And I will preface my analysis here and say that observations during fall camp were more limited than usual because the media viewing windows didn't narrow much earlier than previous seasons. So there's only so much you can glean on a specific player or their entire unit. Nonetheless, after talking to several individuals close to the program, I do have a good handle on how each and every position group is shaping up going into the 2021 season. So let's start with the quarterback. And there's no doubt that as fall camp progressed, Jaden Daniels looked better and better. And there's no question in my mind that his command of the offense, his comprehension of the playbook, it is a higher level than it was in 2020. And simply put, when you do have a normal offseason with the full spring practice and no interruptions and the lead up to fall camp, let alone being in year two of what used to be a new offensive scheme, the results do speak for themselves. Head coach Rome Edwards went on record saying that he wants his offense to be more explosive and leaders to say that significantly eclipsing the 175 yards passing average Daniels had last year has to be accomplished. Now, I still have my doubts, though, if any passing game improvement would be achieved with Daniels averaging in the mid-30s for pass attempts, with more explosive plays being attempted uh, than usual. On the other hand, I don't think it's going to be your classic dink and dunk offense. I think it's just going to be a scheme that is going to be creative, be complex, but that does not necessarily mean that every route from a skilled player is going to be one that needs to achieve a 15, 20-yard gain or more, but rather just move the chains and really utilize a very effective ground attack, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. Needless to say that Daniels is only going to be as good as his wide receiver group, and I went on record several times during the preseason saying that this is definitely the X factor of this ASU offense, and really the X factor, I think, for the entire team to be significantly better than they have been in the last three years. All in all, I am optimistic that this passing game can result in Daniels coming close to his 2019 numbers, averaging just under 3,000 yards for the season and passing probably for more than the 17 touchdowns he did post during his freshman year. 
When it comes to the backup quarterback position, not that I'm pessimistic as to the roster picture over there, but let's say it's probably a position that is more interesting than we thought it would be in the beginning of fall camp, where we really saw Trent Berger continue the momentum that he had from the midpoint of spring practice and the rest of those 15 sessions. And coming into fall camp, he really showed from day one that he was not going to relinquish the number two quarterback position to freshman Finn Collins, who, if you recall, had a very strong start for spring practice, but later on uh, did go through the normal learning curve that newcomers often struggle with. So when we were able to observe practice from start to finish, it really did seem that Bourget was etched into the number two quarterback role. Now, as I sit here with you less than a week before the season opener, the question is, can Bourget be healthy enough to actually be in, in the two deep when ASU does face Southern Utah on September 2nd because he was sidelined with a foot injury for the last two or so weeks. So Finn Collins, there is a chance that he could be the number two quarterback going into the season opener if Bourget is not healthy enough to assume that, or reassume, I should say, that position. And you're wondering, Finn Collins, again, a player that did show some promise in the beginning stages of spring camp, does he use this window, if you will, to make a stronger charge and actually grab that number two quarterback spot? I still think when when everything's said and done, a healthy Bourget will be the backup to Jaden Daniels. But again, we're talking about a, a position battle that really didn't seem much of a battle at all going back to March. And now here we are, late August, maybe talking about some shift in the two deep, albeit because of injury. So that's going to be one interesting storyline to follow. Either way, the absolute plan for offensive creator Zach Hill is to play Bourget and Collins early and often during the first two non-conference games against Southern Utah and against UNLV, both of them home contest, to really give them as much exposure, as much game day experience as possible. And who knows that maybe as a result of their respective performances, even with the healthy Bourget, we actually do see a shift later on in the two deep at the quarterback position. Moving on to the running backs group, and this is obviously a position that puts a big smile on the collective faces of the Sun Devil fan base. And I don't see this disappointing in 2021. And it's really easy to forget that Rashad White, DeMonte Trainum, uh, Daniel Angada were all newcomers to the program this year. So as impressive as it was to see a running back group with obviously the aid of Jaden Daniels at times averaging up over 264 yards a game, now you can imagine the you're older, you're wiser element coming into play. And this uh, ground attack can be just as devastating as it was in 2020. Now, I'm not expecting ASU to run the ball 65% of its offensive possessions as it did last season with a struggling passing game. But make no mistake about it, this is the bread and butter of the Sun Devil offense. This is definitely the group that's going to carry the team. This is definitely the group where opposing defensive coordinators are are going to stay up late at night trying to figure out how to stop. And also, let's not forget that they have the entire offensive line coming back So that's really worth its weight in gold, uh, being so familiar with each other and really having some proven returning players paving the path on each and every Saturday. 
So there is a lot of reason to be excited about ASU's running backs. Also, some reason to get excited about the talk we've heard of them implementing some two-back sets, which again goes back to the level of comfort all the players on this side of the ball have with the Zach Hill system. And that is obviously just one more wrinkle that can open endless possibilities, especially for ASU's passing game. So don't think about this group as being three yards in the clouds of dust. They can definitely have a lot of bells and whistles associated with it, even though it ends up carrying the ball rather than completing a 30 or 40 yard play downfield. Next up, let's talk about the wide receivers. And if ASU is going to take that next step, contend and win the Pac-12 South, possibly win the Pac-12 crown, possibly even uh, win a Rose Bowl, then this is the one unit where I believe everything is hinging on. So if you do ask me what it's supposed to look like on the stat sheet in terms of passing yards average by Daniels, and yes, running backs, tight ends are going to figure in into those numbers as well, I would say that it does have to eclipse the 245 yards passing average that Daniels had in 2019. Again, when you talk about a four-game season last year and Daniels only averaging 175 yards, that was just a whole different set of circumstances altogether. And I truly believe that Jaden Daniels this year with an improvement that I'm expecting from the wide receiver group as a whole, getting the tight ends more involved in the passing game, that that average yards could be much closer to 275, maybe a little closer to 285, 290. And I just don't feel it's really out of the realm of, of possibilities. And again, it's not so much the improvement of the wide receivers, but rather the wide receivers doing a better job taking the opportunities presented by defenses each and every week that are much more concerned of trying to keep in check a very explosive and dangerous running game for the Sun Devils. Now, Zach Hill said earlier in fall camp that he did not have a go-to wide receiver. And again, with limited viewing of practices for the last couple weeks, I can't tell you if that has been an issue that's been resolved or not. Now, my educated guess that L.V. Bunkley-Shelton, who was ASU's most consistent wide receiver last year, probably could be that go-to wide receiver in 2021. And truth be told that early on in fall camp, he was engaged in a fierce battle with Ricky Paracel for that starting slot role. But in the last couple of weeks, it does seem that he was able to edge out his teammate and reclaim that starting position, which he did have all of last year. So either way, a win-win situation for ASU, the way I look at it, having very two capable players at that slot wide receiver spot. So if we're looking at the Z or the boundary side wide receiver, it does appear that Johnny Wilson, who definitely had an up and down season as a freshman in 2020, has showed well in full camp, really becoming more and more that mismatch nightmare that the ASU coaching staff wanted him to be not only down the field, but also in, 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 in tighter spaces using his 6'7", 230-pound frame. So he's one player that I know many think could be a breakout player on either side of the ball for ASU. I don't think that's a far-fetched theory at all. But again, I think much like a lot of other newcomers, in 2020 that did endure the vicious learning curve. Uh, Johnny Wilson is another player that definitely has to prove that those uh, growing pains of the transition from high school to college are now behind him, and he really could be that dangerous offensive weapon in ASU's aerial attack. 
And look, like any position on the field, sometimes you're only as good as your number two player in that role. And here we find uh, Jordan Porter, who I thought early in fall camp did show a, a lot of flashes. He, he could be a player that is pretty physical in his own right, but is also a wide receiver that I can see once in a while making a big downfield play at a crucial moment. So Porter is someone that I would definitely look out for this year. Even in a reserve spot, I think he could be a pretty significant part of this ASU passing game. When it comes to the wide receiver group as a whole, if I'm looking at the specific roles in this unit, I'm much more intrigued with the X wide receiver, the field side wide receiver, because in a way we do have a three-way battle over here for snaps. And in spring practice, I thought Elijah Badger, who did redshirt as a freshman last season, did uh, show a lot and did uh, really exhibit his potential all throughout spring, but has scarcely practiced during the, during the, during fall camp. And the player that was brought in to really go head-to-head in that position battle, Utah wide receiver transfer Brian Thompson, has really emerged now as a starter just because of Badger being sidelined as often as he has. Now, Brian Thompson is one player who my counterpart who runs the Utah side said it was definitely a big loss for the Utes and their offense to have that player transfer, let alone to a Pac-12 South foe. But on the other hand, Thompson is somewhat of an unfulfilled promise, at least if you're going by his tenure in Salt Lake City. So he's somebody that does cover the chip on his shoulder because he knows the burden of proof is on him to be that game changer, to be that bona fide playmaker that even with one or two defensive backs draped all over him, he still comes up with a touchdown or with with a big first down. So really curious to see if he's somebody who can hit the ground running because he's by far the most experienced wide receiver in that position group room, or just because it is still new surroundings, it's still a new offensive scheme, does it take him a little more time to adjust? But he's a player that we definitely saw some flashes in fall camp and I think that he can end up being one of the leader uh, in, in receptions for, for Arizona State. But let's also not forget about Andre Johnson, the local wide receiver, who definitely has more issues, I think, with consistency than he does with actually pure football skills. And I know that some may view him as a forgotten man in the wide receiver group, but with Badger and Thompson, you know, maybe having some unavailability issues. Thompson does have a history of injuries during his time at Utah. Don't be surprised if Andre Johnson does make his mark. I'm not saying on the stat sheet he'll show up as one of the leading wideouts of this Sun Devil squad, but somebody who definitely can make his mark really in his own right. Again, it may be more dependent on the availability or lack thereof of both Badger and Thompson, but Andre Johnson is, is a player that, for me personally, I'm looking for him to maximize each and every opportunity that he gets. And the question now is, how many of those chances will he get week in and week out? This is a very deep wide receiver group, and I'm not slighting any player who I did not call their name in the last few minutes, but rather just trying to provide the most realistic picture out there in terms of the top seven or so wide receivers that I feel stand to make the biggest impact on this ASU passing game. 
When it comes to the offensive line, this is just one more of many position groups on this ASU team where you see a lot of proven veteran experience and you have anything but uncertainty as to who your starting players are going to be. So from left to right, we have Kellen Deesh, Ladarius Henderson, Donovan West, Henry Haddis, and Ben Scott as your front five first-team ASU players. Now, if there's any question mark with the offensive line, I would say it's with Donovan West and his snapping issues, which we did see some of that happening in fall camp. Again, we don't know once the viewing window was closed, whether it was an issue that was put to rest, more or less, or is it something that the coaches are still going to have to keep a watchful eye as the season goes on? And ironically, we're talking about a player in West where actually did start his career as a true freshman playing center for ASU for the first two games in the Sundalo uniform. Later on, was obviously moved to the, the guard position. And now things are coming full circle because he's a player that, if he does perform at a high level, could very well be one more of a handful or maybe more players on this ASU team that will declare for the NFL draft uh, with still some years of eligibility remaining. But uh, West is obviously going to have to prove that he can be a capable center. I don't think it's really beyond him to do that by any means. But snapping, if it's not the number one on the list of importance of duties for this position, it's definitely in the top three. And that is one aspect of his game that does have to show vast improvement, has to show the consistency and I know that he has a position coach in Mike Cavanaugh that is definitely not going to lay off one bit if he's not snapping the ball at an acceptable level. So as much as there is a great measure of confidence in the abilities of all the first teamers over here, conversely, the second unit certainly has a lot more to prove. I do like freshman Isaiah Glass and backup left tackle and Spencer Lovell as being the classic swingman that can play both guard and tackle although I think it's probably going to be more as an interior lineman. But really after that, after you mentioned those two primary reserves, uh, we still have a great deal of uncertainty as to who are the players that can also step up as second teamers. Uh, Jared Bell is a backup center, and he's one player that came in with a lot of accolades a few years ago, and fans have been waiting year after year to see if he can finally break out Uh, I'm not saying he's going to reclaim a starting position, but when he is on the field, uh, can he play as a capable reserve lineman? Uh, That's something that I'm I'm very curious to see. Does it finally happen uh, this this year? You know, overall, it is a group that, much like our receiver, does not have a shortage of bodies, but in terms of a degree of confidence on whether those players, when called into duty, can play and play well, that is is still one of the mysteries, if you will, on this ASU team. So it's really easy to look at the first two games on the schedule against Southern Utah and UNLV and talk about them as glorified scrimmages, uh, not a whole lot to prove. But when you go into the weeds, so to speak, having these reserve offensive linemen play for a quarter and a half, maybe even an entire half, I think it's really going to be imperative to their development and really give the coaching staff a better assessment of how much some of these younger, seldom-played linemen have progressed and have have developed. So ending our discussion on the offensive side of the ball, let's talk about the tight ends. And I know that 
you guys are trying to figure out as, as much as I am, is this group finally going to be an integral part of the passing game? My quick yet honest answer is yes. And if anything else, just because the bar has been set so low in the last few years that having tight ends post a handful of so receptions each and every week, in my humble opinion, is not really out of the question. Now, barring unforeseen circumstances, Curtis Hodges will be the starting tight end as last go around in Tempe as a super senior. And even though he's a very lanky 6'8", 240-pound player, I think that aside from the obvious uh, toll target in the passing game for the Sun Devils, he also did prove to be a good blocker last year because, after all, it's not like the running game in 2020 excelled despite his capabilities as a run blocker. Now, another player over here to talk about is Harvard graduate uh, John Stivers, who was rightfully awarded a scholarship last week, and he's definitely more of a force in terms of being a blocker, but uh, someone that I do expect to see often on the field because the two tight end formations in this ASU offense, in my opinion, should be more prevalent in 2021. Now, the player in this role that can really ignite the imagination is Oklahoma transfer Jalen Conyers, a legitimate 6'4", 250 pounds, who really has to complement his depth recruit receiving skills with using his body and being a better inline tight end and just overall a more well-rounded player. Now, I wouldn't be surprised to see Conyers as that wide receiver who's called upon to get those precious first downs with just a few yards to go in, in tight spaces. But either way, when it comes to the route running and receiving abilities, he's definitely the best player in the tight end group when it comes to those specific traits. Uh, I think that he's also much like the running backs on the team can take some pressure off of the wide receivers and just give the defenses just one more thing to think about while other wide receivers can gain uh, better separation from, from their defenders. So even though Conyers is just another newcomer to the team, I think that his importance maybe as the season goes on rather than right out of the gates can really be manifested for this Sun Devil offense. So this concludes the analysis of, of the ASU offense. Again, a group that is definitely not short on talent, but does have some challenges that need to be successfully addressed sooner rather than later, which again, makes really important for those first two non-conference games for even some of the starters, but definitely a lot of the reserves up and down each and every position group to really show what they can do on game day because you never know when they're going to be called into duty. Next up, let's talk some ASU defense. The ASU defense started fall camp with 11 returning starters, but due to the season-ending injury of their defensive tackle, Jermaine Lolay, that number has went down to 10. And not that this absence really turns in a very optimistic outlook to an absolute dire prospect, 
But on the other hand, and this is overstating the obvious, that the degree of success that ASU is going to have in replacing Lole in the interior of their front four is really going to determine a lot in terms of this defense being the dominating, overpowering force that you're expecting it to be just because of the abundance of the proven talent that is returning from last year. So who's going to replace uh, Jermaine Lole? Well, that answer might be a little more complex than folks think it is because Omar Norman Lott, who I think is not only the player with the highest ceiling on the defensive line, but has the greatest untapped potential on either side of the ball. But he's also a player that was sidelined for the last two weeks of full practice. I'm not saying it's out of the question that he won't play in the season opener, but will he have a lot of rust to knock off? And he's still a player that's a freshman at the end of the day. So how can he now transition into a role where he not only plays, but he plays a lot. He's definitely going to be the primary backup to starter Shannon Foreman. And again, it's assuming that Norman Lott will be healthy. So that is uh, definitely one area where I'm sure coaches and fans alike are really going to keep a very, very close eye on. At the other interior spot, you find nose tackle DJ Davidson, who's going to be backed up by TJ Pasifea. And just like most nose tackles, DJ Davidson is not a name that's going to pop up on the stat sheet with multiple sacks, multiple tackles for loss on each and every game, but rather just doing a good job letting the defensive end operate, letting the holding the blocks of the linebackers behind him can make plays. And uh, he's definitely one of the more uh, capable players at his position in, in the entire Pac-12. Uh, Teacher Pasifea is a player that slowly but surely really has developed uh, into a, a good reserve player. So I think that ASU does like what they have over there at nose tackle. And for obvious reasons, really a position that when you look at the two deep is much less of an uncertainty compared to the three technique position next to it with Shannon Foreman and Omar Norman Lott. Uh, when you look at one defensive end spot, uh, Tyler Johnson, who was a sack leader last year, Still, I think, the best pass rusher um, on the team and an absolute disruptor in opposing backfields. Uh, it's really hard to see the defense having an outstanding year without Tyler Johnson, uh, if not being the sack leader, then definitely being very, very productive in that department. The player that backs him up, uh, LSU transfer Therese Moore, is a really intriguing player to me. Uh, looks, looks as the most physically mature player um, on that team as as a grad transfer, which is what you would expect. But somebody who really started out spring on a much slower note than he actually ended it. And in fall camp, uh, he's definitely somebody that at times I thought really could give Tyler Johnson a run for his money for a starting role. So that's one player I'm really going to keep an eye on. And I think fans uh, should too, because whether he is strictly a reserve or whether he's actually somebody who can reclaim the starting spot at one point, um, I think that he would be one of the better new additions for this 2021 squad and somebody who can immensely help ASU's pass rushing abilities, which did improve quite a bit between 2019 and 2020, but I still feel need to take that extra step 
2021 to be a dominating front four. And the last starting position over here at other defensive end, uh, Michael Matus, who I nicknamed I Told You So because I remember the outcry from ASU fans that saw him as a starting defensive end to begin the 2020 season. And in that USC contest, even though it was a loss, uh, Matus definitely showed why he had so much confidence placed in him by then first-year defensive line coach Robert Rodriguez. And I'm only expecting this player to develop uh, more and more. Uh, Backing him up would be uh, local defensive end um, Anthony Cooper, uh, somebody who I think had a pretty unassuming uh, full camp. So that's why I'm really curious to see uh, what he can do as a reserve. And I think the more overarching question for this front four is I think they do have very capable pass rushers. But in terms of the run stopping, where Jermaine Lillet was a huge part of that defensive facet, how much does that component of the defense, of the front four in specific, really does take a hit with Lole's absence? Uh, that can really determine uh, quite a bit when it comes to the success of the entire ASU defense. But in terms of the two deep, this is the group of players that I expect to see the most uh, playing time. Curious to see what players such as uh, Stanley Lambert, uh, Amiri Johnson, and, and walk-ons, uh, Matthew Polamalu and B.J. Green can do at times. Again, if you go back to the non-conference games, the first two weeks of the season, that's probably when we would see him more in action than the rest of the year. So when those opportunities present themselves as a third stringer, as somebody that in the beginning of the season is not expected to see much action at all, how much do you capitalize on opportunities given to you, can you even make a move for increased playing time, let alone a spot in the two deep? Uh, those are some of the tasks that are going to be ahead for those players. Next up are the ASU linebackers, and not to sound like a broken record, but a lot of players that have been there, done that, especially in the starting roles with Kyle Sole, Merlin Robinson, and Darian Butler. Two of those players, Butler and Sole, are are team captains, so this is definitely the area of the team where you're going to look for and find leadership. Uh, Robinson, on the one hand, somewhat of an up-and-down career at ASU, but nonetheless a bona fide NFL prospect on this team, somebody who played very well in 2020, I thought, especially compared to his 2019 season. As we know, 2018, he was Pac-12 Defensive Freshman Player of the Year. And I think he is definitely one player that is poised for a big, big year for the Sun Devils and and could be an absolutely dominating player on this side of the ball. Uh, Darren Butler, an absolute uh, tackling machine, did a great job getting in phenomenal shape ahead of the 2021 season. So definitely somebody that I'm expecting big things out of. And Kyle Sole, a reserve uh, player, a local player from uh, Scottsdale Suaro, as many of you know, somebody who patiently waited his time to be in the starting lineup. It did happen last season, and he he did not disappoint and compliments the uh, traits of both Robertson and Butler quite well. So the starting three is a group that I think ASU would happily put against any other Pac-12 team in this position. And when you look at the reserves, I I think that you have some really intriguing players over here and probably 
no more intriguing than the Philly freak himself, true freshman Eric Gentry, all 6'6 of him, who we definitely saw do a good job batting down passes at the line of scrimmage in fall camp, doing a good job dropping into coverage. But because he's just around 200, maybe 210 pounds at this point, his physical element to his game, his tackling abilities are a big unknown right now. And how much he can develop that in short order can determine how much he does see the field or is he regulated to certain down and distances, to certain sub packages to actually see the field. Uh, Will Schaefer is probably the most improved linebacker if you look at spring practice to fall camp. Somebody who had a hard time back in March cracking the two deep, and I think now he's a mainstay at that Mike middle linebacker position, uh, another local player from Scottsdale Suaro. So definitely excited to see um, his development. And speaking of Scottsdale Suaro, uh, yet we have another player over here in the two deep for the ASU linebacker group, and this is Kyle Soleil's younger brother, Connor, uh, somebody who will, will also feel much like Will Schaefer uh, did uh, – Gain a lot of strides uh, from March to August, and somebody who has been able to entrench uh, himself as a backup uh, quite nicely. Um, you know, guys like Gentry Schaefer and Connor Soleil are much like a lot of other reserves players who I'm very curious to see what they do with the double digit reps they're going to get in the first two weeks of the non conference schedule. Another young player that intrigues me on this side of the ball is linebacker Jaden Williams, somebody who is an absolute speed demon out there at at, at linebacker. Um, As a young player, obviously, still going through the acclimation process to to playing playing at this level, but somebody I think who has a very, very uh, bright future, but maybe someone that might have a better chance really showcasing his talents in 2022 and 2023 rather than the upcoming season. Uh, Caleb McCullough is a young player who showed some flashes in 2020 and did pretty well in spring practice as well. But the ascension of Will Schaefer came at McCullough's expense, which is why he is not poised to see many snaps at all each and every week. Another young player who, to me, actually is quite an enigma just because he came in In his recruiting class is one of the more heralded players, and that is linebacker Jordan Banks, who's been taking some reps uh, with the defensive line as well. I really couldn't tell you what the realistic expectation level should be from a player like Banks. It definitely could be a scenario where he rides the bench and and rides it hard, or it could be one of those situations where he's able to carve himself a very specific niche pass rushing in specific as one of the better players in that department for ASU and could make some modest contributions in the middle towards the end of the season. So that is something to look out for over there. Rounding out our discussion on the defense, let's discuss the ASU secondary and experience, experience, experience. That's what really stares you uh, in the eye in a very positive manner. If you're an ASU fan, when you see your two starting quarterbacks and two starting safeties, who at the end of the season will have a combined 22 years of experience. Needless to say that you don't want any position on either side of the bowl to be 
a deficiency, but suffice to say that in the past happy Pac-12, if you don't have a formidable group of defensive backs, especially at the starting roles, then your season might be doomed before it even started. So when you look at the depth chart over here, uh, Chase Lucas and Jack Jones are are your starting cornerbacks. Uh, Chase Lucas is somebody who I feel, much like Merlin Robinson, maybe a little up and down uh, season, but had definitely, like Robertson, a very solid 2020 campaign to build upon, uh, comes in into 2021 easily as one of the best cornerbacks in the conference. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets the quote-unquote Deion Sanders treatment where a lot of opposing offenses just choose not to throw the ball in his direction, especially downfield. But honestly speaking, I wonder how much success they're going to find when they test the other starter at cornerback, Jack Jones, who in his first two years at ASU had his own ups and downs, uh, I thought played uh, pretty well as a reserve back in 2019. 45 tackles, 13 pass breakups, three interceptions. Uh, those are numbers that a lot of starters across the Pac-12 would love to have, and Jack Jones would love to duplicate that season and those stats and really put behind him a miserable 2020 season where he was suspended for the rest of the year after the season opener against USC. There really were question marks at the time whether he would actually be welcomed back on the team. And luckily for him, the coaches uh, did have him, you know, probably complete some numerous tasks to earn his role back on the squad. But nonetheless, he is over here. And when you talk about some of the best cornerback tandems in the Pac-12, this is a duo that definitely should be uh, on the shortlist in that category. In terms of their backups, uh, that's where things... um, you know, probably get a little interesting just because of, again, players such as Demarcus Davis and Jordan Clark, who was sidelined for good portions of camp. Uh, to a lesser extent, Ed Woods uh, was also not available as of late. Does this open the door to a true freshman such as Tommy Hill? Uh, definitely one of the more talented newcomers on this team. In limited duty, showed quite a bit, both in spring practice and full camp. Uh, does does he able to insert himself in the, in, in the two deep? Uh, a guy like Mason Williams, an underclassman himself, that uh, definitely was able to flash uh, here and there. And the, mo- the highest rated recruit of the 2021 class, cornerback Isaiah Johnson, he's somebody that in the last few sessions actually was uh, playing on the second team alongside uh, Tommy Hill, again, because of the absences that we mentioned a couple of minutes ago, but how much can his development be accelerated just because he's able to make the most out of, out of those opportunities. Uh, also keep in mind that it's not going to be out of the question, especially with the type of offenses that ASU is going to face for the majority of the season that we're going to see more nickel looks than your classic four, three, three. That's when you're going to see Davis uh, if, if healthy or, or, or Jordan Clark, Lining up as a third cornerback, not necessarily as a nickel cornerback because we did see Chase Lucas assume uh, that role. So that means Davis or Jordan Clark would actually kick outside. And it goes without saying that the nickel formations for the Sun Devils have to be just as effective as the quote-unquote old-school 4-3-3 alignment because, again, a lot of the offenses they're going to face is actually going to necessitate uh, probably – 
sidelining, if you will, a linebacker such as Merlin Robinson and just lining up with uh, five defensive backs uh, on the majority of snaps on any given Saturday. If you look at the safety position, uh, again, a lot of returning proven talent over there at the starting roles, Evan Fields and DeAndre Pierce. And I hope that fans by now can put to rest the notion that DeAndre Pierce is only playing on the team just because his father is defensive coordinator Antonio Pierce, because I thought Pierce might have been the biggest pleasant surprise on, on the entire ASU defense, maybe on the, on the entire team. A very high IQ player, and it's no surprise to see his teammates talk about him as being the quarterback of the defense. I think he works in great harmony with Evan Fields as the safety tandem. And while he did come in last season as a transfer from uh, Boise State, I still feel that the comfort level and his familiarity with the defensive system is only going to enhance in year two versus year one. So a player that I'm expecting a big 2021 season from. And the backups uh, for both uh, safeties, uh, Kiwa Martin, who's going to back up uh, Evan Fields, a player that steadily has been improving year after year. And uh, Cam Phillips, who backs up Pierce, uh, somebody who a lot of player, a lot of fans probably recall was really excelling in then Danny Gonzalez's 3-3-5 defensive scheme as the third safety. And once ASU moved to a fourth 3-3 alignment, I think that Cam Phillips kind of lost his way, if you will. Uh, he did opt out out of the 2020 season uh, due to COVID. But now in 2021, uh, definitely is a mainstay, I feel, as a backup safety and somebody who might get even more opportunity to shine in 2022, but when you talk about a player that played a plethora of snaps during the 2019 season, and now he's listed as a backup safety, I think that it really is worth its weight in gold to have that level of experience in a reserve role. The other safeties that I feel are going to be hard-pressed to find playing time, at least again, past those first couple of non-conference games, guys like uh, Willie Hart, uh, DJ Taylor, who moved from running back, still going to be a big component in the return game, and T. Lee. All three players are probably aiming to spring practice of next year to really make their mark, maybe even challenge for a starting position. But for now, for, for the 2021 campaign, uh, are probably going to be more regulated for special team duties. Next up in the podcast, we're going to catch up with Pac-12 Network football analyst Yogi Roth, who will not only offer his perspective on the Sun Devils, but also on many of the other Pac-12 teams. We'll talk to him about the expectations of this Sun Devil squad. Are they justified or not? And who are some of the teams and or players to look out for in the conference that may actually surprise in 2021? So if I'm looking for a football analyst to discuss the Pac-12 on the eve of the 2021 season, my list starts and ends with our guest here on the Devil's Junkies podcast, Pac-12 Network football analyst Yogi Roth, who will also be the color analyst for ASU season opener next week. 
Yogi, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today? I've missed you, man. You know, uh, we didn't get to see each other last year. I saw you at camp briefly, but it's it's great to come on your show. Thank you so much. So let's talk about camp. Uh, you were there earlier this week uh, in Tempe. Uh, what are some of the things that truly jumped at you right away when you observed the Sun Devils in practice? A, f- a few things. You know, I was there for spring, and the biggest thing that I was curious about uh, was, hey, how connected is this team? There's been a lot of chaos. What's it like to watch the position groups that have been impacted by coaches not coaching that position group currently? And I was so impressed with what I saw on the field. You know, I left that spring game thinking I'm going to pick Arizona State to win the South. Everything happened over the summer. Didn't really know it was going to shake out. And then to watch them practice and the way they competed and the way the young players competed and the actual competitive depth around this team, the development of the receivers. Like, uh, I was just really impressed across the board. Uh, and I walked out of there with my partner, Ted Robinson, saying, man, this team's going to take a run at it this year. And you got that vibe as well. You know, they've got a focused attention about them. Uh, my phrase I'll use in the game, and, and I believe it to be the case for them this year, they're going to take the governor off. I think you're going to see an extremely aggressive team on both sides of the ball. So you talk about the development of the wide receivers, and I'm sure ASU fans are probably sick of listening to me saying this because I've been saying it in some various interviews during the preseason. When you look at this ASU team, Objectively speaking, really, lots of talent on both sides of the ball, really not a whole lot of weaknesses, aside from the wide receiver group, which I think the burden of proof definitely lies on it, on, on that group. And I also feel that if ASU is going to win the South, as you and I you know, possibly predict, there's no way that this wide receiver group cannot perform at a higher level than they did in 2020. What's what's your uh, feel about this wide receiver group? I mean, you, you know them on paper. You saw them in practice. Do you think uh, they can play better than they did uh, last year? What will it take in specific for them to take that next step? Yeah, I think there's two questions that I have for this team, and, and you hit one of them. And I used to play the position, right? And I think there there can't be enough credit given to the connectivity and the relationship between quarterback and receiver. So if you look at, USC last year in their game, there's a play. uh, It's going into the tunnel and Jaden Daniels drops back and he's about to throw it to uh, Johnny Wilson on a post route and he holds it and gets sacked. Go to the final game of the season, similar play, other side of the field against Oregon State, and he throws it to Jordan Porter. I don't know if you saw in Pac-12 Networks, which released like our top three plays from last year. And that pass to Porter was – one of my favorite plays from their season because it was the trust that Jaden developed. Why do I say that? Just to, to me, blanketed, point blank, this team needs to have that. And I thought I saw it and talked to Jaden after practice. He feels confident. So we're talking about Brian Thompson, who to me is a huge impact on this group from a maturity standpoint, a focus standpoint. We know what Utah football stands for. Uh, I think he brings a lot of intangibles needed to that meeting room. Ricky Pearsall is the most consistent receiver they have. And then it's the question mark. Johnny Wilson, LV, Jordan Porter, Chad Johnson, Elijah Badger, Andre Johnson. We, we know the names. Um, Junior Alexander, will he get into the mix? I think they've got enough competition there and limited experience from last year's freshman for somebody to be the guy. Now, who will be the go-to? Who is a dominant player? Who can't be locked up in man coverage? I don't know. I think that's going to be the, the fun part to figure out. I do know that Johnny Wilson and Curtis Hodges 
in the red zone are going to be a challenge, right? So they got to prove it, but I like the way the schedule nets out and Jaden talking to him in the spring. And then most recently after practice, he knew what the issues were last year and the trust that wasn't there, the timing that wasn't there. And he feels as though it's there now. So I I can't wait. And and like I, I mentioned earlier, I expect shots to be taken from this team, especially with the way we think they'll be able to run the football. So you and Ted Robinson are going to be on the call uh, next week, season opener at, uh, against Southern Utah. Is there something to be said about not cracking uh, the playbook wide open or semi-open uh, when you have the inferior opponents, no, no disrespect to Southern Utah, on your schedule? Uh, just because you need to show that against BYU, you need to show that later impact on schedule. Or is ASU's passing game really at a point where they really can't hold back even in the season opener because they need to see this uh, aspect of the team clicking, being in rhythm. I mean, what, what's, what's your viewpoint on this? You know, I, I remember hearing people talk this way even when I was coaching at SC with Coach Carroll. We were easily the best team in the conference. You could argue the country. And when we game plan, there was never a thought from Lane or Sark as the coordinators to be like, all right, let's not show this. It's a trick play for sure. A formation, an unbalanced set, sure. But I think you got to go out and do your thing. I mean, college football is is one of those things where anything obviously can happen. I, I don't think Southern Utah is going to come in and shock the world and beat Arizona State necessarily. But regarding developing your own team's confidence and the rhythm within your own team and your own locker room, I think you got to cut it loose, man. I mean, I think you got to try to do everything – to impose your will on the run game. I think you have to get the pass game going. And I think this offense is not like, it's not like it's an eight concept offense in the passing game, for instance, and only four plays in the run game. Like it's, it's got intricacies to it. It's got, a, you know, under center play action, deep drops. It's got a little bit of everything, RPO, QB run game. So no, man, I think, I think they got to try to bring it every time they come out because they got to set a championship atmosphere. If this becomes the team that has a ton of talent, but only plays to the level of its competition, then uh, it'll be one of the biggest misuses of talent in my eyes in recent years in the league. So I know Arizona State was not the only team that you checked out uh, the last couple of weeks. You've been on a rock star tour over here, uh, checking out pretty much, I would say, all, all 12 teams in the conference. But uh, let's start talking about the divisions one by one. Obviously, let's start here in the South. Um, USC, I would say, by and large, if you're looking at media experts are picking them to win. But ASU's in the conversation, Utah's in the conversation, UCLA's in the conversation. How do you see uh, the, the Pac-12 South from, from a macro view, and especially those um, other teams aside from USC, having a legitimate claim for the Pac-12 South championship? Yeah, when I kind of, I try to predict the games after spring ball and then predict them after media days and then predict them after camp again. And haven't seen the teams in the South that you referenced, uh, other than Utah, I didn't get to get to Salt Lake City. Um, I think they'll all beat each other. You know, when and how, like, can ASU go to Utah and get a win, for instance? Can Utah go to USC and get a win, for instance? I, I think all of those things are TBD, but it's a flip of a coin to me among the four teams. And it comes down to what is the vibe and culture of the program. So I look at Arizona State, and you had a lot of guys return for their super senior season, I think the most in the league. Same with USC. I think they, they, they have the top two super seniors in that regard. What's what's the focus and attention like all year long? I expect it to be really high. Mm-hmm. UCLA to me is much like Utah's been in the years past. 
except they've got a really dynamic quarterback. So a defensive front that's been there. I think they have NFL caliber players in the defensive line. They might have the best interior defensive lineman in the Pac-12 South and Otito Albonia, which you know, you're losing Jermaine Lole. It's a big loss for Arizona State. Um, he's going to be the best defensive lineman when they play LSU on the field. Who would have thought that when you looked at that matchup? And then they have Dorian, who I think has the highest ceiling among any of the quarterbacks. Physically, he's the most gifted. Uh, I was with him a bunch this summer. I, I can't wait to watch this guy play in his fourth year in Chip's offense. So I kind of could waffle between all four of those, having not seen Charlie Brewer play in, in, with my eyes in a long time. I look forward to watching that. And, and then SC, I have them on Saturday in the opening week. And man, did they get better with the portal. They got more mature with the portal. That's what I feel from this team. They bring in so many players from the state of Texas with a focus that's just different than sometimes kids in Southern California regarding football and a sense of urgency. You know, when we're looking at the two running backs, both were transfers from TCU and Texas, respectively. I think SC is going to run the football. I, I would have put uh, Rashad White and Chip Tranum as 1A and 1B in the league. It's going to be fun to evaluate that in week four with the backs that are at SC, Zach Charbonnet at UCLA, uh, the two transfer running backs at Utah. It's going to be fun as we break that down, let alone Jarek Broussard in Colorado kind of what they did in the run game a year ago. And they've gotten better on the offensive front with the portal. I think ASU was lucky to miss two of the best teams in the North uh, this year in the rotation of the schedule with Oregon and Cal. And it might be a little more clear cut in the North division uh, as far as Oregon. And then who's going to be number two, who's going to be number three, probably more of a question mark. And maybe not that many teams vying for that top position in that division. Do you think it's also as, as clear cut? And uh, what's your take about, other teams not named Oregon in that division. Well, Stanford, I think, needs to – you need to circle that team. Uh, I was up and watched them practice last week. They, they're they healthy, you know, and, and people have knocked David Shaw in that program in the last couple of years. But when you look and, and see who was playing, it was – I think they played seven true freshman offensive linemen a couple of years ago. These guys are now in their third year in the program, Walter Rouse being their left tackle who's – yeah, I think he's only 19 years old, but still projected as one of the top left tackles in the country. Mm-hmm. Quarterback, we'll see what they end up doing. But to me, Tanner McKee was going to be a guy who's the face of the league next year at that position. And if Jack West beats him out, then that means Jack West is playing at a really high level. Austin Jones never gets enough love at running back. I think he'll play in the NFL for a while there. And their receiving core, it might be the best in the league that I saw. All right, I haven't been to Oregon. They're really young and unproven. I look forward to watching their young guys. But there's some, there's some special players. Elijah Higgins will remind you of Shannon Sharp. And this guy's going to be a first-team all-everything. Nobody really knows him right now. But, God, I watched him run and move, and it's impressive. They bring they have another star tight end. The, the offensive line, as I reference, is real. Thomas Booker is the best interior defense lineman in the league. They feel really good about their secondary and their linebackers. They're all 6'2", 6'3", 240-plus. They didn't play the last two years because of injuries. Now they're healthy. So that's going to be the name of the game for them. And and their schedule is as hard as anybody's in the country when you look at how they kick it off with three straight games on the road. Yeah. So nobody, I believe, has the pulse of the entire Pac-12 as yourself. So give me a breakout team or maybe even a breakout player who can carry his squad to a breakout year that you just have a gut feeling that uh, just might happen in 2021. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if it's Zach Charbonnet. UCLA. It's easy to say Dorian, 
but people know him. Zach Charbonnet, this is a guy who ran for almost a thousand yards at Michigan as a freshman, for whatever reason, didn't do much last year and ends up coming home. I, I think he, when I watched them practice, I've probably been to three practices in camp and did their spring. He is electrifying downhill. I mean, he's a one cut runner, a thumper with wheels. The guys are going to turn down the physicality from him. I don't think he's known around the country, uh, but I think he needs to get known. And, and I think he will. I think UCLA is going to kick it off this weekend. What a big stage for them against Hawaii in week zero. And then LSU and then a bye. Then we get them in their third game against Fresno State. I think by that Fresno State game, Zach Charbonnet is going to be a name that the country knows if he runs the ball the way I think he will against LSU. Okay. Well, again, it's a crazy time of year for, for you as it is for me. So thank you so much for giving us a few minutes here on the Double Junkies podcast. For our listeners, please make sure you catch uh, Yogi and Ted Robinson on the call. Season opener, ASU, Thursday, September 2nd, 7.30 p.m. kickoff. And obviously throughout the season, Yogi's work on the Pac-12 Network. Yogi, thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you in Tempe again next week at Sun Devil Stadium. And I uh, look forward to your work uh, later in the season. Yeah, finally, back in person. And I can't. I know you feel the same way. I cannot wait to see fans. It sounds like we're going to get a great crowd, man. And I'm going to have one of my headsets off the whole game just listening <laughs> to what the fans do. So to wrap up the podcast, I just wanted to leave you with my win-loss prediction for Arizona State. Where do I see the Sun Devils ending the 2021 season? I know it's really easy on the one hand to be skeptical of what's going to happen this year with ASU, as I said at the top of the podcast. The NCAA review that the team is undergoing right now, the fact that not one, not two, but three position coaches have been put on admin leave, has definitely tempered the expectations of many when it comes to trying to predict how good this ASU team is going to be. And I think that to some extent, those folks, especially, uh, I would say collectively, the Pac-12 media, who pegged ASU to finish third in the Pac-12 South in their preseason poll, might be giving that aspect a little too much weight, in my humble opinion. I know that circling the wagons and playing with a chip on their shoulder might be some of the most worn-out cliches, not only in football, but the entire world of sports. But nonetheless, I still think that that is an attitude that is prevalent with this ASU team. And I think it's an attitude that can actually lead to more successes rather than failures when it comes to the play on the field. So I uh, still sticking to my prediction that ASU is going to finish with a mark of 10-2. and I'm predicting two losses to take place on the road at Utah and on the road at Oregon State. I know those aren't exactly popular opinions. Uh, uh, Else is lying ahead for ASU, but I still feel that nonetheless, despite those two losses at ASU, will finish atop the Pac-12 South. And I believe that when they do meet Oregon for the Pac-12 championship, that actually will win that game too. Uh, Don't ask me to predict the Rose Bowl because that is one unknown in terms of who the opponent's going to be. Although you can make probably the same argument For the Pac-12 championship game, although I think that Oregon's path to winning the North is uh, much smoother than all the teams contending in the South. But nonetheless, I still think that despite everything that's going on off the field, that the on-field 
product is really going to outshine its opponents because when you just compare the talent roster to roster, I don't think there's any team out there in the South or even in the North, for that matter, that does eclipse ASU in terms of the level of talent. I'm sure there's some teams that you could say are very, very close. Maybe even make the argument that there's really a nominal difference between ASU and some of its Pac-12 foes, but having seven games at home makes a difference. Having USC was still the biggest contender for the Pac-12 South at home does make a difference. And while some may diminish the importance of the bulletin board material, which I think there's no doubt in my mind, is going to show up all throughout the season because of the -the off-the-field events that right now ASU is dealing with, will also have, ironically or not, a positive impact that, in my opinion, will lead to a very successful season in Tempe. What's going to happen after the 2021 season? That's a whole different story, which we will definitely address at the appropriate time. But right now you have the natural excitement ahead of a brand new football season. And as I mentioned a few minutes ago, I think that any excitement that ASU fans have of this 2021 campaign being a special one, in my opinion, is very, very legitimate. Thanks again to our podcast guest. Pac-12 Network analyst Yogi Roth. And thank you again, the listeners, for tuning in. It's been a while, but like I said, we're definitely going to make this a weekly good habit, if you will, throughout the 2021 season with our next podcast coming next week. We'll finally have an actual football game to talk about as ASU faces Southern Utah, September 2nd, season opener, 7.30 p.m. kickoff. For all the coverage leading up to that game, in-game coverage, and obviously post-game coverage, make sure you have it locked in on my website, devilsdigest.com. And if you're not a premium subscriber, make sure that you sign up right there on my front page. There's a lot of in-depth analysis that we only offer to our customers. So you want to make sure that you kick off the 2021 season on the right foot. Become a premium subscriber if you're not already at devilsdigest.com. Thanks again. We'll talk to you next week. I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town